Blog Talk Radio. What's up, Rants Nation? Welcome to another edition of Turf Show Radio. We're coming at you for the first time since the Rams season ended. we got a lot to talk about. This is Van Ram. With me, as always, is 3K. 3K, how you doing today? I'm here, man. I'm making it. You're here. I'm, you know. You're making it. I'm like, ter- I'm like Terrell Suggs, brother. I'm everywhere at once, and at the same time, I'm nowhere. It's... It's a it's a difficult life to lead, but you know, doing my thing. A ghost the most. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's all it's almost a Shermerian. Is that the right adjective? What what is Shermerist? Shumerian. It's a I Shur- don't know. I mean, Shumerian. Yeah, it's a Shumerian lifestyle I lead. You know, so <laughs> trying trying to trying to get settled in, trying to get things in place. Kind of like the Rams, man. You know, there's lots of, lots of stuff we're talking about. You would think for the off season, you know, for a team that. That didn't make the playoffs. We wouldn't have that much to talk about, but a uh, lot, a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff to get to at this hour. I'm assuming. It is. I'm shit is bumping lately, and it's yeah. crazy all the stuff we got to talk about. And I'm, I'm gonna tell you what, 3K. We've had a week layoff. We need to, you know, catch our breath a little bit from the season. And you know, the folks out there understand we put in a lot of long hours, a lot of time with the with the TST during the season. It was nice to have a little break last week, but I'm telling you what, I am ready. I'm Extremely, I'm as maybe as excited as I've ever been for an edition of Turf Show Radio, and I'm predicting this is going to be the most soulful episode of Turf Show Radio in the history of Turf Show Radio 3K. I saw that prediction, the soulful. I'm interested to know what that means, man. I feel like I'm on like Biggest Loser, where you drop that hint. This is going to be a big night, and everybody goes, "Oh, what does that mean?" I don't know what that means. Uh, soulful. I don't know. Are you gonna Are well, you gonna eat my soul? Was, are you a soul eater? No. Is that, Here's here's the deal. I was out. I was taking the dog for a little afternoon walk today. I was thinking about some oh. turf show radio topics. Anytime a story starts with I was taking the dog for a walk, hide the kids, some everybody. Shit was popping up on my iPod, and I just it, I'll tell you what came up. James Brown "Night Train" came up on the iPod. Classic. Man, you know. I don't know James who wrote Brown. the song, but he's from St. Louis. I do know that, and I just thought, man. This is going to be all aboard for "Night Train" on today's edition of Turf Show Radio. <laughs> All aboard tonight, train. I never would have guessed, man. I never would have guessed. That is a, uh, you know, I'm a big James Brown fan, so I can always, I can always get down with some James Brown references. Absolutely, and you know, St. Louis is a soulful place. Miles Davis, home of Miles Davis. Now, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. all the soulful people got up, got the hell out of town when they could. I understand. Chuck Berry came back, but you know, everybody else is, everybody else beat feet to the jazz clubs back in the. Back in the day, but we're gonna we're picking it up. We're taking it forward today on Turf Show Radio 3K. Let's do it, man. Let's let's do it like Night Train. Let's take it all across the country. All aboard Night Train. <laughs> um, well, man, 3K. I, there, a couple big a couple big things hanging out there. The hanging treads, if you will. You Want to go ahead and start with the offensive coordinator, or do we need a slow build up to that? I think we might as well get in it. You know, it seems like that's been the obviously the biggest trending topic. Uh, you know, with Shermer leaving, McDaniel's and Childress kind of hanging above us. I, I think I think that's a good place to start. The I mean, the the biggest issue with this is how how do we attack this? How do we discuss this? I don't know. I, and I'll give you all the credit in the world, man. You have discussed it as well. You you've I think poured through the subject matter as well as anybody could, and yet I still don't feel. Like I know anything more than I did, you know, a week and a half ago. <laughs> well, you there's know. really not that much to know. 
here's where here's where I would start it with. Are, were you surprised that Pat Shermer was a head coaching candidate and then got hired for the job? I was. I was. I was this season. You know, I could I could see it because you know with his uh, both his you know his personal family tree, you know, being the nephew of Fred Shermer, and then kind of his his coaching family tree. You know, the stuff that everybody's talked about. Which, yeah. Uh, why Holmgren felt comfortable with him. I'm not surprised that it happened. I'm surprised that it happened now, you know, given that he's just now taken over the offensive coordinator position for two years and how inept the Rams offense has been under his his guidance over the last two seasons. I would have thought that a lot of teams, and especially the Cleveland Browns and Mike Holmgren, would have liked to have seen him get another year to really help develop Bradford and implement a system yeah. that is attractive. I think that the hire is just based on, you know, credentials that were there before he even got to St. Louis. And and as a Rams fan, the question for me, as it applies, you know, to our future offensive coordinators, is, you know, Pat Shermer seems like the kind of guy who isn't going to be very good at making bad teams mediocre or mediocre teams half decent. He's the kind of guy that you want to make a good team great. The problem is, you know, as it related to the Rams these past two years and now for the Browns, neither of those teams is really that good. And he seemed to struggle in terms of being able to create to get us over that that hump to get us to the next level. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm surprised it happened now, but I'm not surprised it happened in general. No. What about you? No. I mean, and I really, you know, when the season ended and the coaching, you know, the, the coaching drama starts, you know, Sunday afternoon as soon as the games start wrapping up. And I, you know, and I remember thinking that day or that next day because the Rams obviously played a prime time game. But I remember waking up that day and thinking, you know. The Rams aren't really going to be – how ominous is this? I woke up, I thought, there's no way that any of the Rams coaches are going to be in the mix for all the, the coaching drama about to happen because, you know, they've, they've got some good results. They're on the way up. But, you know, like Shermer's been a guy two years. They both are in their second year as coordinators. And then, and then you hear about it, you know, Spagnolio was a two-year coordinator, but – he had obviously a pretty significant feather in his cap with that Giants defense in 2007. But now you can go back and look at him, and that's not, you know, a lot of the talent on that team. Well, Spagnolia was able to maximize it, but, you know, those weren't necessarily guys that he brought into that system per se. Um, and it's different for Shermer. You know, the, this is a system that Shermer and Spagnolio and Flahole have really shaped and brought in the kind of core nucleus of talent that has made up the Rams and and you know we've seen a big jump between 09 and 10 and and I think you know the expectations for the next step forward in 11 are very realistic very reasonable and I, and I was like you I just thought you know after next season when the Rams are successful I really think you know, you know when the Rams are a better team than they were this year and the offense is a little bit more of a factor than it was this year a little more consistent than it was this year I thought, man, that's when you're going to start seeing, you know, some of these coordinators start to get plucked up out of the system. But there you go. That's what you get for thinking, I guess, huh? I mean, and that's the thing that's strange about it is you look at somebody like, you know, Josh McDaniels. He And I know we'll get to him as a potential, you know, Rams offensive coordinator, but you look at his history. You know, he had to work his way all the way up and didn't get that chance to be a head coach until he had been the head of a New England's Patriots offense through, you know, from 06 to 08 and arguably starting in 05. That was as prolific and as, uh, you know, statistically explosive as greatest show on turf, as any other offense in the history of football. So he really he really showed, you know, he, he put into practice that his system and yeah. his philosophy and his approach to offense 
with those with a good team can be great, and I think that's the the expectation with Shermer. But he hasn't had that opportunity, and so it's strange that he's being offered the same kind of position that Josh McDaniels was three years ago when McDaniels yeah. did something that Shermer hasn't essentially, which is uh, blow the board up, blow that scoreboard up. Yeah, and you know, and I think about it, and I'm not going to talk about the Cleveland situation too much because I know our one or two listeners are not tuning in to listen to talk about Cleveland. But, you know, I look you look at Mike Holmgren, and there are whispers that he would maybe step back into the coaching role for that team even before Mangini got fired. And, I, you know, I think Shermer sees a guy that's not particularly experienced as a head coach, but a guy he knows, a guy he trusts, a guy he knows that as an executive he can still be a, a little wear a little bit of the coach's hat but concentrate on the president, GM-type duties that he's, you know, running a franchise. You know, I, I think some of the stuff that kind of got Holmgren a little, um, not in trouble, that's not the term I'm looking for, but a little overtaxed when he was in Seattle, wearing the GM cap, wearing the head coach cap. That's a lot of work, a lot of responsibility for one guy, you know, to, to have those kind of two, the CO and the XO positions for, for a whole franchise. I mean, that, that you know, that's a lot of work to wear and and, and Holmgren kind of took some flack for that in Seattle and and now he has kind of the best of both worlds he doesn't have to be the head coach doesn't have to put in those hours of a head coach but he can still kind of you know be the sort of head coach hobbyist with Pat Shermer and you know and Shermer's the guy that's going to have to stay and watch film on you know Monday night and Tuesday night into till four three four in the morning and, and whereas Holmgren you know he's got the other responsibilities as a team president to go take care of I mean I, I think there's you know the executive the executive with a with a with a tight grip on the situation, you know, was a good opportunity to bring somebody like Shermer in as opposed to, you know, a head coach that, you know, like a like a Bill Cowher or something like that that they did actually talk to in Cleveland. That's going to want things his way. You know what I mean? Uh, sure. That he's going to be the he's going to be a co-chief executive officer sort of thing. So anyway, I, mean, I guess that's just my take on it. But you know, the Rams got a hold of Phil now. And it's gonna—it's an interesting home, man. I mean, that—that's a—that's the biggest topic on the open thread thus far, and it's probably been the biggest topic since the season ended. How, how do you want to start with this, man? Do we need to just talk about the position in general? Is it a McDaniel's Childress comparison? You know, it, it's such a difficult decision, and it's such a uh, complex topic to talk about. I, I don't know—I don't know how to open this. What do you think? Well, you know, I guess before you get into the personalities of it, I think the biggest question, I guess, that people are, you know, the, the pundits, the chattering classes and the fans, we the fans have been talking about lately is is the impact of a transition on Sam Bradford. First of all, stay with the West Coast, don't stay with the West Coast offense. How much of an impact is that going to have on you? have got a young, young quarterback in Sam Bradford. Great rookie season. You know, part of his success was that conservative game plan that drove us all batshit crazy for 16 games this season. But, you know, I don't think you would have had the number of the, him set the record number of completions had you, and not that's not necessarily what they were playing for, but, you know, they were, they were playing in a system to give the kid some success in his first year and not put too much pressure, not overload these guys with, with things. And then to compensate for areas like wide receiver, tight end, where they just didn't have that kind of consistent game-breaking talent that could open things up, you know, for a quarterback, for the whole team, for the whole game. Um, I, you know, so so I guess the big the place to start for me is is the transition. How dependent on success because the Rams have to win in 2000. If there's football in 2011, the Rams have to win. Eight and eight's not going to be good enough this year. 
You know, we've got the building blocks in place. You've got the nucleus in place. And it's a talented, talented group of players with Sam Bradford, Steven Jackson, Roger Saffold, Jason Smith. You've got, you got a lot of talent on that side of the ball that, that's ready to go, and there's, the expectations are upped for these guys next year. 8-8 eight and eight's not going to be good enough, you know, barring some catastrophe or something like that. 8-8 eight and eight is not going to be good enough. So I guess that's the big question. And before you even get into the, now the personalities reflect the question. Brad Childress, West Coast offense guy. Josh McDaniels, a little bit different system than that, a little more of a spread. Something probably that's going to be more of a hallmark back to the greatest show on turf type offenses than it is anything else. But, you know, what's best for Sam Bradford? What's best for those young guys on the offense? Yeah, I don't know. Personally, I think probably Sam Bradford is a smart kid. He's probably the transition from a West Coast offense back to something which would be like a McDaniels or even, uh, you know, a John Ramsdale is one guy that's been speculated, not mentioned as or with any credibility, but just like, hey, wouldn't he be a, a cool guy to bring in as an offensive coordinator? John Ramsdale, the offensive coordinator and San Diego, quarterbacks coach in San Diego. Um, you know, you, you bring in guys like that, you're putting Sam Bradford back into a little bit more of a of a system like he had in Oklahoma with lots of four, three and four wide receiver sets, a lot more snaps out of the shotgun than what we saw with the Rams this year. Um, you know, what do you think? I, I personally, I think it's maybe a little bit of an overblown issue. I mean, I, I don't mean to make light of it because it probably is a legitimate concern, but, I, I mean, I, I feel like it's probably not as big of a deal as some people want to make it. Sure, and I, th- I think, you know, with the – a lot of the discussion as to how much influence these Spagnuolos had over the offense, I think that you know Pat Shermer was probably given a little bit too much credit or a little bit uh, a little bit too much blame, I guess, uh, in retrospect, given that you know <clears throat> Spagnuolo's influence on the offense. I, I would say this, um, you know, you talked about you, you talked about philosophy and you talked about Sam Bradford's transition. I think both of those are important, but more important in the long term than they are in the short term. You never want to hire a coach for next season. You never want to hire yeah. a coordinator for next season. You never want to bring in a player for next season in, unless he's a veteran, unless he's like a Mark Clayton, unless he's just a one-year guy. And the reason why is your long-term success is always more important to the health of your franchise than your short-term success. Yeah. And that being the case, when, when you're talking to these offensive coordinators, the me, the biggest questions you can ask is, what do you what would you do with the offense as it exists now? And how would you change it, and what would you want to do, uh, you know, in, in a hypothetical perfect situation? And that's the key, is that as we improve this team throughout the offseason, as guys like Sam Bradford, the young tackles, and, and other components that we'll bring in in the future add youth and, you know, more talent to an offense that is lacking, and if Denario Alexander can stay healthy, you know, Brandon Gibson, if he continues to improve, Danny Amendola, if those guys add, contribute more than they have in the past that you know you've got it you like you said you've got the nucleus you've got the core of the offense how do you improve that and philosophically how do those guys fit into essentially your perfect scheme and i think to me that's most important you know based on their histories between the three you know mcdaniels to me obviously his resume it it's too strong mainly because he had the pieces there and he was able to do everything with it you know, with those yeah. with those Patriots from 06 to 08, the question is: Yeah, absolutely. If he if he doesn't have the personnel, then then what's going to happen? If he if he you know 
the question that I asked, you know, chicken or the egg, which came first, was was Shermer limiting the offense or was the offense limiting Shermer? If we have a offseason and a draft that really doesn't add a lot to this offense, how is he going to improve, you know, the natural progression of this offense more than it would have happened without him underneath anybody else? I don't know. Sure. It's, a, it's a difficult situation, and I, I agree that I think we're looking too much into it, but at the same time, you, you can't understate the kind of influence that an offensive coordinator is going to have in the off season, not just in the regular season, but in the off season to get the yeah. offense, you know, running on all cylinders to the point that, <clears throat> excuse me, that the rookies feel comfortable. Guys like Marty Gilliard are going to be able to contribute in 2011. It's a, it's an important job, man. It's an important job. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, you bring up a good point, and, and that's probably something I, you know, it, it triggered something for me. You, you you know, you talk about what had the the Pat Shermer nothing never gotten a Cleveland job. He stayed offensive coordinator for. 2011 in St. Louis, what would the Rams' offense have looked like? You know, and you don't know that. Obviously, they would have brought in more talent. I mean, hopefully they would have brought in more talent. At the very least, you probably would have had Donnie Avery. You're probably going to have Donnie Avery and Mark Clayton back in the mix. Another year of experience for Denario Alexander. Um, you know, that's a big deal. That that gives the Rams' offense a little bit more dimensions to it than what we saw in 2010. Um you know, you look at Andy Reid's version of the West Coast offense in Philadelphia, and he snaps out a shotgun and works it downfield way more than your other West Coast sure. offense guys have done. I mean, he's be, almost. I was just going to say, to, to be bit, fair, you got you know, not a lot of teams have a Deshaun Jackson, you know. No, exactly. But even before they had Deshaun Jackson, I think they had you know, you, you what you saw with McNabb there, and I know it's a little different with Vic, but. You know, what you saw with McNabb in Philly was a lot more shotgun snaps, a lot more three and four wide receiver sets. You know, you, you had a, you had a little bit of an A traditional, a blend of like a West Coast offense and that kind of that more of that spread field type offense that you you know that that's so popular in the NFL right now that is dominates the NFL right now and, and successfully so. I mean, you look at the Patriots, you look at New Orleans, you look at you know some of the other teams out there that do Houston. I mean, you know some of these other teams that do that, and 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 you have the obviously you have the components to run that too in terms of your personnel. Um, and the Rams have some of that. You know, you've got an offensive line that's way better suited to pass blocking than they are run blocking. You've got two athletic offensive tackles who are probably better suited to blocking in those you know those that stance that's that, that two point that three point stance that's so much better for the for the for the um, you know, a spread offense like that. So, I mean, I, I guess I just wonder what – I think you probably would have seen a lot more wide-open offense next year in St. Louis, depending on what, you know, who the offseason acquisitions are. And even if they didn't go out and get a Vincent Jackson or didn't draft a Julio Jones or somebody like that in the draft, I think just even with Donnie Avery and Clayton back in the mix and another year of experience for Denari Alexander, I think you would have seen a much – expanded Rams offense. I think you wouldn't have seen as much focus on the dink and duck passing, more shotgun snaps, more three and four wide receiver sets. You saw that. And you saw how successful the Rams were when they ran with those sets and the no huddle offense where they put more of the onus of moving the ball onto Sam Bradford himself, how much more successful the Rams were. I mean, and that's, Consistent with someone like McDaniel's in particular, but you know you go to a guy like Ramsdale and some of the other guys like with that NFL version of the spread offense. You see, 
the Rams had success doing that stuff this year is what is was what's kind of interesting about it. Sure. I mean, those are all great points, man, and and you can't rebut any of them. It's just going to – it's going to be one of those things that I think in hindsight it all makes sense and, you know, like so many other things, but now trying to predict where this offense is going and who's going to lead it, it's difficult to say. But I know somebody who can help us, and that's a caller, Van. Oh, a caller can help us for From the sure. 530, from the 530 area code. What's going on? you on Turchill Radio. Uh, this is the uh, Knox fan. Knox fan, what's up, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, all the, all the old Knox fans uh, are gone, and uh, my son took over the helm. And uh, but he but he's got to he's got to stay in school and study. So he passed it to me, and I'm, right. I'm just kind of getting I'm just kind of getting into football and and particularly uh, TST here because how uh, I, I was threatened in the will <laughs> that that I just have to uh, I, I got to do the TST thing. But it's it's gotten really good here. Last uh, few months or so. So, well, thank you, uh, thank you. Well, you know, I, I'm I'm really not that that up on football, uh, so I had to go back to last season, read all the posts on TST back then, and I, I see that uh, Grandpa was pretty uh, pretty active. So uh, <laughs> I just thought I would call in and and uh, just say howdy, uh, and say that that uh, you guys are doing a great job. I, I'll tell you that I've read all of the other teams. Uh, uh, what do you call them? Website complaint sites, gripe, whipping, <laughs> ragging, yeah. ringing uh, crap, and uh, so so uh, we got a we got a real good thing going here on TST. So I just want to congratulate all of you. Uh, I haven't read all of your articles from uh, from a couple of years ago, but but uh, sounds sounds, uh, sounds pretty good. And uh, well, I guess we I got to I got, I got to hang on on to uh, to TST here, and uh, like I say, I, I'll say some dumb things about football because I've never really been a Rams fan. But boy, it's addictive to uh, to get our team going for next year and uh, learn all the names of the players and who who's supposed to be doing what and and who can do what but don't and so forth. So uh, with, with all the rest of the crowd and the, and the posters on here, <laughs> I get I get the whole spectrum of what what the heck it's all about. Uh, absolutely. Well, we'll get you up to speed and as much as we can. I, I, uh, I you know, and we're glad to have you on board. Stick around, and uh, I, you know, you might want to go back and check out. You know, I, that's a lot of reading over the last couple of years, and you might save yourself some time. Go back, pick up the annual. You can, uh, you just have to search for it. I couldn't tell you exactly where it's at, but uh, pick up that. That you know, that'll give you a good, uh, nice overview from the last season, and we'll, we'll, we're going to be putting out another one this year, and. Hopefully that will give you, uh, you know, get you up to speed and ready to go for 2011, man. Yeah, well, I'm I'm trying to learn uh, learn learn what uh, you know, pro football NFL is all about, and uh, reading back, I'm finding out who the rivalry are and why I hate the Seahawks and why I really hate the 49ers. <laughs> and uh, but see, they're they're good for weight loss because every time I read something about the 49ers, I got to go to the bathroom. There you go. And uh, <laughs> and, and unload a dump or two, but. Uh, uh, like I say, I really enjoy posting. Uh, I'm I'm not up to speed on all the names of who I'm supposed to be posting to or stuff like that, so I just uh, have at it. And I still got all of the uh, the big grounds player stickers all over the walls here. And uh, cool, the helmets and the hair dye and the face paint and all that sort of crap. <laughs> it's, it, it used to be it used to be wild around here, but uh, uh, that's cool now. Maybe I can get in the swing of things and. Uh, 
and uh, root the team on, root you guys on, and uh, just let me know what I got to do. Well, hang hang with us, man. We'll get you. Up. We'll, we will get you up to speed this year. I promise. Well, I, I had to keep the same name of Knox fan just just to uh, uh, to be able to, to I don't know fit in or keep up a tradition or because they <laughs> the, you know they they were with the Rams when they was back in Cleveland. And, uh, oh man! Yeah, it's uh, you know he's he's got Super Bowl ticket stubs and all kinds of stuff here. But uh, yeah, that's cool. And I, I thought I was going to clean the garage out. And you know, make a make a, a computer room or something like that. And uh, I found out if I touch any of that stuff, I'm dead meat. So, uh, <laughs> so, so, uh, so it's it, it's gonna stay. Except I can't use the face paint. Uh, I get I guess uh, uh, my kids down in down in school. They go to San Diego State. One of them was gonna be coming out in three years, probably for the NFL. I hope. So, cool. uh, so, so we'll see we'll see how that works out. But like I say, guys, I don't want to tie up your phone time. Uh, you're doing a great job. I've, I've scouted out all the all the rest of the uh, uh, the sites, and, and uh, uh, they they make for good toilet tissue. So we're, we're gonna <laughs> we're, we're we're gonna show them just uh, just what a good site's like. We're gonna show them what a real real team is about. So you guys uh, take care, and I'll be seeing you on the post. Hey, all thanks, right, man. Thanks a lot. All righty. See you later. Take care. Well, that that was nice. Man, I don't, I don't Good know. call. Excellent call. I'm getting a little, you know, sometimes it gets put in perspective, man. I mean, the generations of Rams fans, that's that's refreshing to hear that, you know. I bet we have a lot of first – I wonder if we have a lot of first-generation Rams fans on the side. That would be interesting off-season study to do, how many people are kind of a first – you know, I'll admit it. I'm a, you know, you know, a St. Louis guy. The Rams weren't on my radar until – Ninety-five. So, passing of the but, torch. See, and I just, I got, you know, I came to him in Los Angeles in the mid '80s, and then you got Cleveland, Cleveland-based Rams fan. You got, and obviously, you know, you go back to the Churchill Times map. You got fans all over the country, all over the world. So, it, that's oh, always yeah. an interesting off-season topic, man. Is is how people, how people came to the Rams, and then how they got to Churchill Times. But it's always great to have guys like Knox, who are, you know. Not just interested in the Rams, but interested in Churchill Times and sharing the experience with everybody else. That's what it's all about. I mean, that's why we're here. I mean, you can go. You know, there's a lot of places to talk about the Rams and, and get up, catch up on the news on the Rams and all that stuff. But you know, we're here for the fans. That's what TST is all about. It's not a, you know, we don't break the news, we don't make the news, we make the take. news for the fans. I was gonna say, take the news I, and then. Recreate the news. I don't know, but the, the, the interesting thing is that you know it, it's there, there's so much input that comes from so many people, and, and it's it's that much easier for somebody like Knox to really get a sense of not just the NFL and the Rams, but a sense of sports fandom. You know, when you've got guys like Ram Chop and STL Cards fan and Douchey Dude and Buckeye fan, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's you know, way too many users now to to try to remember right now at the top of my head, but you got so many. <laughs> So many people that are a part of this, you know, a year, two years ago, I, I never would have thought we would have gotten to this point in terms of building a community that we can almost go hands off and everybody can just take it where it needs to go, man. No, and you know, too, and we've got, you know, we've got some, we've gotten some good contributors coming on board lately, too. I mean, you know, you and I, you've been around for a long time, 3K, and we got, you know, this year we've had VT and Kevin and Ramrod's been on for a little while now. It's like, we, we got a good group. We got a good group manning the ship here. So, you know, 
I think, you know, we'll see what happens with the Rams in 2011, but I think Turf Show Times will be even better in 2011 than they were in 2010. I know it. I know it. Soulful, baby. Night train. <laughs> Rolling on. There you go. Well, what do you we think, man? So what, let's what, go back to the offensive coordinator thing for just a, just a quick we? second here. What Do you have a preference? Well, let's get down to the brass tacks with the names. Obviously, there's two big candidates. Um, it looks like McDaniels is in town today for an interview, and then Childress is coming in next early next week, Monday or Tuesday, for an interview. Um, you know, some other names have been mentioned, but right now those are the only guys that are scheduled for interviews, and it's you're not exactly going out on a limb to say that they are the two favorites for the job. So, so 3K, who gets you excited here? I, you know, if it's who get who gets me excited, it's McDaniel's. You know, because of what he was able to do with the Patriots. The the question that I essentially that I have is, what can he do with a roster that's not as well built? You know, by the time he got to the Patriots in 2001 as just a personnel assistant, you know, they they had already gotten to the Super Bowl. They they were they were rolling up on the way to the Super Bowl in 2001. Um, you know, he worked his way all throughout the ranks in the in the last decade as a as a defensive assistant, as a quarterbacks coach, and then as the OC before taking over as the head coach in Denver. Um, and it's been a pretty astronomical rise for him career-wise. You know, the question yeah. is, he's really only been involved with really good Patriots teams, with a really, really strong franchise. Now, the Rams the Rams aren't a really poor franchise, but they're certainly not in the top ten. They have a lot of work to do. I think Stan Kroenke being at the helm is going to help a lot. I think having a head coach who can stay in, a, in the same position and build a philosophy that makes sense uh, to the players helps a general manager who can mirror the same philosophy throughout the entire the staff, you know, behind the scenes, that helps. Um, yeah. You know, the question for McDaniels, it's almost a risk-reward type thing. You, 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 if you throw it all on McDaniels, he's the kind of guy that may be able to get you to the top, but who knows what happens when it starts crumbling like it did in Denver. For somebody like Brad Childress, who's got a lot more history, you know, who has uh, a lot of experience in the coaching ranks when he started at Illinois, uh, then he went to Northern Arizona. I think he stopped in the Col- with the Colts in between, um, and then with Wisconsin, he was with Wisconsin for most of the '90s uh, before he went to Philadelphia. And he had the quarterbacks coach position, you know, similar to Shermer's kind of rise. Uh, he was a quarterbacks coach, and he was the offensive coordinator for the Eagles. And then he went to the Vikings as the head coach in '08, or no, back in '06. Um, you know, so you look at that. Maybe his history with the Philadelphia Eagles and with Andy Reid is something that makes sense for Spagnuolo. And maybe that's the comfortable choice, the same way it was for Flay Hole and for Shermer. The question is, in terms of risk-reward, do you want to go for something comfortable? And, and and I'm not calling Childress a yes man, but, you know, hypothetically, that kind of an idea, the idea that this is somebody that agrees with your system, that is always going to be able to, to do what you tell him and is always going to roll with the punches, or do you want somebody that's going to be a little bit less uh, conventional and little, you know, and, and maybe be less uh, – not less of a team player, but be able to to be able to push people, his superiors, to be better than yeah. they are. To go back to his head coach and say, Coach, I really don't think this is the right call, Coach. I don't think this is the way we need to go. Um, you know, it can create friction, but at the same time, it can make it everybody better. And the best head coaches, the best general managers are able to take those kinds of personalities and mold them into a single unit that makes the team better overall. I don't know. I think a lot of it depends on the kind of person that Steve Spagnuolo is, and I don't think we really have a great sense of what that is. 
No, you don't. I mean, and you know, one thing you do know is is that guys worked really hard over the you know his two year tenure so far to, you know, they've they've they inherited a pretty rough situation. They cleaned house. They brought guys in. They you know they've in, instituted and implemented their own kind of philosophy and approach to to the team and managing the team and and the team on the field and behind the scenes part of the team, the franchise, all that stuff. And and, and you know that's. In a way, that's – I mean, I'm sure all head coaches are very similar to that. But, um, you know, it's kind of funny, though, because Belichick is, is, is sort of the same way. I mean, he's he has a system, and he sticks to it religiously, and, and he doesn't vary from it. And, and that's what – you know, I mean, that's the – you know, that's why McDaniels was probably able to be so successful in New England, not necessarily to take anything away from him or his ability, but, you know, he, he stepped into a – into something that was a, a well-oiled machine, and, and you know he, he had a job to do, and he did it well, and 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 you know Spagnuolo's a, a similar guy as, as I think any good head coach of his, I mean, or should be, I would certainly think. But um, you know, and, and you know, you go back and you look at McDaniel's time, and I'll admit I'm pretty excited. I think McDaniel's would be cool. I think it'd be a big splash. Um, somebody said on Twitter, it's like you know the guy's an asshole, but it, you know he's a he's a talented one, so it, it, it's hard to argue with results. Um, you know, it'd be nice. It, it really, the Rams getting on the radar is, is is something in and of itself to something to behold. And then, uh, you know, that's the style of offense that is the NFL now. I mean, that's what uh, that's what seems to be working nowadays, and that seems to be the way the league has evolved. And I know that'll evolve and change again as time goes by. But uh, you know, that's the you know that's the direction that the league is moving in. And I, you know, we'll see what happens. But. Uh, you know, we'll see. We'll I, I, we'll see what happens. I I don't know. I mean, it's a it's a tough call. It's a tough call. It is, and like I said, I mean, the biggest thing, the biggest star on McDaniel's resume, that that first talking point that he's got to put at the top, is to say that look, if you give me the right guys, I can make it happen. He did it in New Orleans, in, in New England. There's not there's not yeah. a lot of coordinators when they have the right teams can say yeah I put together all the pieces the way it's supposed to and had an offense click for an entire season go 16 and 0 and take them all the way to the Super Bowl I've taken teams to AFC championships I've taken teams you know through injuries and been able to plug in guys and because of the system because there was enough talent to to absorb those kind of backups and the secondary players into the into the starting roles we were able to keep rolling and really put up some great numbers there's not a lot of coordinators that can say that you know. Pat Shermer certainly couldn't say that with the Rams. He never had the personnel to be able to do that. Uh, there's a lot of teams across the league. Look at the Cowboys. The Cowboys had one of the most talented rosters, you know, in the NFC, and they were horrible for the first, what, eight weeks, seven weeks? There, there's a lot of guys that when they have great – they're not – their strength isn't making great teams even greater. Their strength isn't making bad teams mediocre, mediocre teams average, and average teams you know, yeah. slightly above average. And I think that's part of the question is what kind of a coordinator you want. And, you know, I, I think it's relatively, I won't say easy, but it's obvious that McDaniels has an ability to take the great teams and make them greater as an offensive coordinator. I don't, I don't know how to, you know, I don't know how to, how to define Brad Childress as an offensive coordinator because he was in a system with such a strong head coach and so many strong personalities, you know, Terrell Owens, uh, Donovan McNabb, and, and a system that made so much sense. I don't know what kind of leeway he was given in, 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 you know, somebody like Brian Westbrook and how versatile he is out of the backfield. It's going to be an interesting process, man. And either way, you know, either way, I still feel good. You've got an offensive coordinator who's got experience, not only as an offensive coordinator, but now a head coach. So somebody who's got yeah. a lot of a lot of experience that should have the respect of the team for as soon as he steps in from day one. 
you know, either way, despite the fact that they were both fired as head coaches, this is both their new start and a Rams offensive new start. So it's something to get excited about, I think, all around. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, yeah. That you know, the getting fired from a head coach and bouncing back in the corner isn't you know, look at the our old buddy Scott Linehan. You know, he sure. stepped into the situation in Detroit and made a much better offense. Now, you know, they've done a lot to add some talent to the Detroit roster on offense in the last couple of years and that's you know, certainly can't be discounted, but uh you know, look, uh, look at Mike March. Look at Mike March. He's on a Chicago Bears team that, you know, is in the playoffs and just you know had a buy. So. Absolutely. It, Absolutely. It, you, can't, Absolutely. you can't just say just because somebody was fired for, from a head coaching position doesn't mean they're not valuable. Charlie Weiss, fired as a head coach, you know, in Kansas City after being part of the Patriots, comes back and helps the Chiefs get to the playoffs. I, yeah. It, it, it's not it's not as big of a black mark, I think, as everybody likes to make it out to be a lot of the time. No, and I just think some guys just, I, you know, and maybe it's an experience. So you look at a McDaniels who's 34. My God, he's only 34 years old. But you look at a guy like that and just think, you know, there's an experience factor there. But, you know, some guys just, you're just not cut out for that kind of, not cut out for that role. I mean, there's, you know, everybody, we all can point to things that we're not cut out for. And, you know, you look at some guys and you can tell that, you know, they're probably just not cut out to be a head coach, at least not at this point in their career. And they've got a lot long ways to go. You look at a guy like Spagnoli and you think, you know what? He probably he seems to me like he is cut out to be a head coach. Yeah, he his offense isn't his thing, but he has a vision, he has an idea, and he has you know a a vision for what those players that are going to pop into his system, what they need to be like, the characteristics they need to embody the mentality they need to carry with them every day and, and pop that into a system. And that's a big deal. That's a big that that's a bigger part of being a head coach than the X's and O's thing. Couldn't agree more, man. Couldn't agree. And I think he's done a great job in the first two years. This is this is gonna be an interesting challenge for Spagnuolo either way. Because now, unlike Shermer or Flayhole, he's got he's gonna bring a person in who who knows what it's like to be at the top. And I'm not gonna say that he has to get him to fall in line, but he's got to be able to manage an offensive coordinator. Who you have to feel yeah. is what's a, what's a good way to put it? You know that either way, McDaniel's and Children still want to be on top. Any every coach wants to be a head coach. Every coach, sure. And they've been there, and so now he's going to have to manage a situation where somebody's essentially being demoted, and uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see those personalities play out, you know, throughout the tenure of whoever comes on as the offense coordinator. It's going to be an interesting storyline, no doubt. Yeah, and then that'll be the key, and that'll be the thing to watch, I think, throughout the interview process. I mean, whatever you can kind of pick up between the lines and, you know, what the, what, what, what the talking points are when they do announce a decision, they make a decision. Um, because, uh, you know, Spagnoli and Devaney have been all about player per- personnel, personalities with personnel. I mean, it's, you know, the they didn't vet Sam Brad for, for his ability. They vetted him for his head. I mean, they vetted him for who he is and who he who he could be and, and how he approaches that. And they take that tact with all their players. And now I know that there's some – that's made some problems and with the media and fans in the past two years. But, you know, it's hard to argue with the direction that this team has gone since 2008. So, I, you know, I think that's one thing that's going to be vetted. And they're just – whoever they're, they're going to hire, whether it's a close personal friend or not, I think they're going to need to see does this person fit with our – vision of where we want this franchise to go? Does he fit with, you know, what he expects from players and what he expects from himself and what he expects from us as leaders of this team? 
I mean, that's what you're going to see. That that's going to be the factor that that makes the difference. I think maybe even more than the offensive system the guy runs. Yeah, I think I think that's a big part of it. I think that's why you saw Josh McDaniel say what he, you know, his quote from the piece in the Post Dispatch this morning. Let me pull it up. It, it was definitely, you know, somebody who's trying to. I'm not going to say he's trying to act humble, but he's definitely trying to push that out. And it's definitely a, I won't say a 180 from his his time in Denver, but it's a, it's very different. Here's the quote of what he said this morning. Uh, it was a piece in the Post Dispatch this morning by Jim Thomas. And it started off saying that, you know, McDaniels knew that he was interested and, and has said that he was interested in the Rams' job, but didn't want to speak to the Rams' interest in him. And he said this, quote, I think it would be better coming from them. I'll respect the chain of command, if you will, in that regard. I don't want to be talking out of school about yeah. what I'm doing or what I'm not doing. I think they're better suited to let that kind of stuff out, and if it comes from them, I'd feel a lot better about that too. And then later on, you know, he, he just heaps the praise on. I think the Rams' organization, and is a quote, I think the Rams organization, obviously, is a great place. I know Steve Spagnuolo. I've known him for a few years now, and it's a place that would interest anybody. It's an exciting place because I think they have everything going in the right direction there. And that's a credit to Steve and Billy Devaney and everybody there in the organization. We'll see how it all plays out, but I'd be excited too. That's, some, that's somebody who's trying to say the right things, you know, not oh, rocking yeah. the boat saying, I'll play the good soldier. That's what you have to say. The, the question is, how long is, gonna, is he going to be able to say that? How long is he going to be able to play that role? Um, yeah, but you know, in, in terms of the first the first opportunity to do it, yeah, that's what you want him to say. That's what you want a potential offensive coordinator sure. who's coming with his history to say. Well, yeah, you got to you got to give the guy uh, good marks early on here because I that that like you say that's the right thing to say. I mean, I you know you can't think of a better quote that you know you you'd want from a a job applicant in this situation for for that particular job. You know. Sure. Sure. Three I mean, K, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the clock. I know we, offensive coordinator is the hot topic right now, but there's another hot topic out there. And for six, 17 weeks, we've pushed it to the bonus side of things on Turf Show Radio. I have I don't no think idea what that could be. What could, what could it possibly be? The Google, what could it be? The Google machine tells us people want to talk about the draft. They should. You know what? You love it. You can't live without it. The 2011 NFL Draft, 3K. Man, I'm I'm already on my 2013 draft. I don't know what you're talking about, brother. <laughs> I've moved on. No, you know I lived the draft 365, man. You know, you know, mocking the draft. I'm trying to pump more stuff out there now that I'm now that I'm back in town and trying to get you know full hundred percent ahead on the draft. You know, I'm all about it. That's right. That's right. Well, I think today was the yeah, – well, I guess actually today's the deadline all for the underclassmen. So uh, names have been dropping the last 48 hours. A lot of names have been dropping out there, good and bad, about, you know, who's staying in school, who's coming to the NFL draft this year. Um, those announcements had a <laughs> – I'd say had a big seismic effect on the Rams draft board because two potential first-round rec- wide receivers – decided to stay in school, and that's Notre Dame's Michael Floyd and um, Oklahoma State's Justin Blackman. Like I say, not necessarily that those were the Rams guys, but, you know, those were two picks that were probably in on the Rams, high enough on the Rams draft board that they would have got, they would be in consideration for the number 14 pick, given their team needs, given what, you know, what we think they're going to be looking for in the draft. It's kind of a, that's kind of a big shakeup. 
kind of a big shake-up. It because shake it's not out of the question that A.J. Green and Julio Jones, who are by far the best receivers in two, the 2011 draft, and I don't think you need to be uber draft expert to know that those two are by far the best receivers in the draft this year. Those guys could be off sure. the board by number 14. A.J. Green will be off the board. No question sure. about it. Yeah, they could they could both be top ten picks. AJ Green could be a top five pick. You know, yeah, there's still a lot of time left, and there's still a lot of pieces to fall in place. But certainly, certainly, they could both be off the board by fourteen. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always you know we've got we're you know we're a few weeks away from the Senior Bowl. The Combine obviously is in February. Um, you know, that's that's always the time where the next DHB emerges, and, and, and I don't, you know, I can't think of where o- Oakland's drafting. I guess Oakland's actually drafting after the Rams, aren't they? They're 8-8, eight eight, so. I think so, yeah. So I guess we can't count on Al Davis to, to screw up the draft for us, but, you know, that's, uh, but, but that's certainly a factor. And, and to me, that was kind of the big draft news Rams-related this week was that, you know, you don't have a lot of a lot of names beyond Green and Jones who are, Inarguably, first-round picks. I, I, now, I, I mean, Jonathan Baldwin is a guy from is a is a big physical guy from Pitt. From Pitt, that that you know, some people about it seems like about seventy-five percent would put in the first round, but probably not as high as number fourteen. And then you know, the other twenty-five percent put him in the second round. And that's a you know, you've got a Tory Smith out of Maryland, who's another who's probably in the top four or five wide receivers this year. Um, but you know, again, probably not a number fourteen pick. True. This is all true. And the thing about Tory is, he, you know, he's a straight line speed guy. Um, and a lot of those guys, like you know, Darius Hayward Bay, who you brought up acronymically, uh, a lot of those guys don't start building their hype until you start getting those kind of tests where you can see really what they're able to do in terms of running their forty and running their shuttle times. Tory Smith is a, <clears throat> excuse me, he's going to build hype. I saw uh, one big board earlier this week that had Torrey Smith above John Baldwin in terms of their junior wide receiving class. Uh, Randall Cobb, uh, as well, was was involved yep. uh, above Leonard Hankerson coming out of Miami. So there's still a lot of things that are going on, and the speed game is always going to play a big factor, and, and you really don't get a sense until everybody's playing by the same rules in terms of checking their speed. So it's, it's going to yeah. be interesting to see how much of an effect that has on the conventional wisdom. At the same time, as it relates to the Rams, I still think the wild card for that kind of a role, for a downfield speed guy, is Donnie Avery. If he comes back healthy yeah. and he can still stretch the field, how how much value do you have to put on a speed guy? Now, Julio Jones is going to have nice downfield speed. He could he could finish out in the 4-4s. Four um, him and A.J. Green pretty much have the same inline speed. They're both about 6-4, uh, both about the same weight, about 217, something like that. But – you know, neither of them are burners. Neither of them will come close to, you know, Gerald Jernig- Jarrell Jernigan out of Troy. Neither of them will come yeah. close to Torrey Smith out of Maryland. So, you know, if you're looking for a speed guy, A.J. Green and Julio Jones are not the options. They're more complete packages. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what, what the feeling is on Donnie Avery, how that, how that affects their approach to wide receivers. If there's a free agent move, and, and obviously, you know, we haven't even brought up the CBA We've got about two months. The only things that are certain in terms of what's going to go down without a CBA are, you know, the draft-related stuff, uh, combine, yeah. any kind of scouting issues, and then the draft itself. Anything other than that is still up in the air. 
So if there isn't a CBA in place, people who want to see a free agent or trades, all that stuff's going to have to wait. The only the only real option you have is the draft. I think that could play a big issue. If the CBA doesn't get doesn't get resolved until after the draft, there's going to be a lot of people who could have filled needs through free agency maybe beforehand that aren't able to. Um, and, and that's going to be really interesting. So I don't know, man. Yeah, it's, it's that, going to be a fun next couple I mean, of months. Yeah, that's a, that's a wild card. Well, you know, and I don't uh, I you know that affects the offensive coordinator thing a little bit too, whether whether or not they get the deal done in time early March so that they can start having off-season practices for that for that sure. sort of thing. But uh, you know, the draft the draft is going to be there no matter what. So that's good for us. But uh, you know, it sure makes things screwy to have that uh that CBA thing hanging over your head, but You know, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's some interesting names out there on the free agent wire for wide receiver, too, and depending on kind of what happens with the CBA, I mean, if they can get it resolved in time and you get your kind of normal free agency period before the draft, it'll be interesting to see what the Rams do because, you know, they've had interest in Vincent Jackson this year. Now the Chargers could easily bring Vincent Jackson back. I mean, maybe they don't want to mess with it. Maybe they do. But if if they bring Vincent Jackson back, they're probably not likely to bring Michael Floyd back. Now if they bring Michael Floyd back, Will they be, you know will they do both will they do both those guys I mean those are, those are a couple of the big names out there I mean Sidney Rice Steve Smith from the Giants though I mean I can't see the Giants not re-signing Steve Smith but you know we'll see a lot of the big name free agents usually don't actually ever wind up in free agency because of franchise tags and and uh, you know the urgency for teams to get deals done but. You know, all that could be all that's up in the air right now. So it is. That's hard to. It's hard to factor that in. So, you know, in terms of the draft and sticking with the draft, three K. You know, I guess it's something we've talked about on Turf Show Radio a lot before. It's something we've, you know, mentioned on the site briefly recently. Is is that, you know, without a Julio Jones or AJ Green on the board for the Rams at number fourteen, you know, I think then you start looking at. The middle to later rounds of the draft where you maybe find a small school guy with talent like Vincent Jackson, for instance, or you sure. know, maybe a guy like Mike Williams last year who has some red flags, but obviously is a talented guy that, you know, but the red flags, the DUI in his case, that, that, that keep him out of the first round of the first or second round even of the draft. And I think that's probably where you see the Rams go. I mean, that's probably where I would go without a Jones or a Green on the board when we pick. But, but uh, so you know, it's probably it's probably a good idea to start getting to know some of those some of those names on the wide receiver big board uh, a little down a little down the chart maybe. Yeah, and I think that's one of the most interesting things is that you could look at the junior class of wide receivers. And argue that, you know, for a lot of people, their top six wide receivers are all going back to school. That's Michael Floyd out of Notre Dame, Jeff Fuller out of A&M, Ryan Broyles from Oklahoma, Jerron Kreiner from Arizona, Devere Posey from Ohio State, and Greg Childs out of Arkansas. All those guys are going back. So there's yeah. there's a lot of talent, a lot of developmental talent, a lot of different roles that those guys that those guys are able to play that are all going back to school. That's going to thin out the hurt a little bit. And like you said, maybe if, if the press is there to look down – you know, later rounds for for different kind of guys. You've got some options there. You've got guys like DeAndre Brown, who comes out of Southern Mississippi, Vincent Brown out of San Diego State, uh, Cecil Shorts. Cecil Shorts is somebody that I've seen on tape twice. Um, I went back and started scouting him about a week and a half ago. Interesting guy, man. He comes from Mountain Union, which I don't even know where the hell Mountain Union is. I don't. I don't know. I don't know enough about our collegiate system to know where the hell Mountain Union is. He's an interesting guy. Jordan White, a wide receiver from Western Michigan. I put. 
I put some notes together on him recently. And, and even if you just uh-huh. want, you know, character guys and, you know, the kind of uh, Ricky Prohl types, there's some guys in there. You know, you got a Jeff Mail out of Oregon who had a who had a decent showing in that in the BCS championship. Um, you know, maybe you just want a big body. Tony Tor Gurley out of South Carolina who plays across from a sophomore stud, Alshon Jeffrey. He's about six five, six four maybe 225, 230. He's a big body. He's almost as big as DeAndre Brown, you know. So you've got some options there. Greg Salas out of Hawaii, he's also an interesting candidate. Jeremy Curry yeah. from TCU. I mean, there's a lot of names. There's a lot of guys that, you know, personally I haven't scouted as much as I'd like to that w- that I'm still going to have to go back and look at, which is the same thing the teams are going to have to do. You know, that you know they're preparing week to week. They haven't got a chance to really go through the tape on all these wide receivers and see what's there. It's going to be an interesting process to see you know, as everybody's doing it, once the playoffs are done and the fans and the pundits and the teams are going back and going through all this stuff, who who really starts rising, who starts falling, and where, you know, where, where the nuggets of wisdom start coming out of and who they relate to. Yeah. I, you know, another guy, I mean, he, he might be one of the better seniors in this year's draft is Leonard Hankerson from Miami. Um, sure. You know, I know he was kind of weak early on in his col- in his collegiate career. He had a little, had a much better season in 09 and had a, had another good season this year. Um, you know, I, you know, there's, that's another name probably to keep an eye on. You know, it seems like right now people are probably pegging him for the second, even third round. So, uh, you know, there's a guy, he's, you know, he's a 6'3 guy. He's a, he's a big guy. He seems to have some talent. Um, you know, that could be, those could be the kind of guys the Rams are looking at this year in the draft. Sure, and Ankerson's uh, a talented guy. He's big, uh, runs a lot of routes on the tree. He'll be playing in the Senior Bowl. Um, he's going to play on yeah. the South team was what I read. Him and uh, Alan Bailey are both going to play, Alan Bailey, defensive lineman. Um, you know, he's got, he's got a lot of talent, and, he's, and he seems like a really smart receiver. You know, that when you talk about football IQ, you know, you throw that kind of cliche out there. Mm-hmm. He's somebody that it applies to. My biggest concern is that, you know, he seems so much slower than a lot of players, and not just top-end speed slow. But yeah. in terms of his acceleration, he doesn't seem to get out of his blocks nearly as quickly as a lot of other, of his peers, especially when you look at guys like Julio Jones and A.J. Green, who really rifle through those first couple steps as fast as anybody in the college game. He he doesn't yeah. have that ability. So, you know, for 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 a fan base that wants to see us stretch the field, he's not an option there. Um yeah. You know, the the key is the key is I think and I've said this all along, I think the key is replacing Laron Robinson and and who's going to fill that role. You, you've got options now. You know, when you're going to rotate guys through with Clayton, Avery, Amendola, Gibson, maybe even Gilliard next year, um, wh- where is that fifth person going to come in? Who is it? You know, Denario Alexander, hey, you want you want to be able to rely on him, but I think there's almost a uh, there's, there's a big risk in doing so, knowing his injury history. Um, so, yeah. if you throw Denario out there, who, who's the kind of clone that goes against it? Le- Leonard might be a guy. Leonard might be a guy that it makes sense to go after if he's there. Like you said, if he's there in the third round, there's definitely value there. I wouldn't be surprised if a team after us in the second round goes after him just because he's smart enough to to do what he does as well as yeah. anybody. And, and th- that kind of value is uh, is hard to pass up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that'll be interesting because, you know, another position of need for the Rams is running back. You know, somebody to play behind sure. Steven Jackson, and this is not a great year for running backs. It's it's not, but you know, I've I've been saying this for about a year and a half now. People who are looking for all around running backs are looking at the wrong position. The, the value for a running back in the yeah. NFL it has fallen more than any other position in the last decade. I mean, look at Steven Jackson. Steven Jackson is as good as any running back 
you know, pound for pound in every facet of the game as anybody. And look how much we used him in that last game in Seattle. There's there's just not a lot of value for running backs. I think the key is to get that change of pace guy. And there's been a lot of names that people have thrown around, Jaquiz Rogers, Ryan Williams from Virginia Tech, Jordan Todman out of Connecticut. Um, Oh, man, who was it somebody threw out a couple days ago? I don't remember who it was. Vereen, I've heard Vereen. Yeah, Shane Vereen out of California. He's an interesting kid. Kendall uh, Hunter, that's who it was the, out of Oklahoma State. The, Kendall Hunter's Bartek. another guy who can really. Yeah. Say it. Yeah. From Oklahoma State. Sure. And Noel Devine out of West Virginia. There's a lot of guys yeah, who can really burn and open things up. And when you see what guys like uh, Dexter McCluster can do in his versatility for Kansas City, Jacoby Ford for Oakland, you know, it, yeah. it makes sense to have those guys open it up for, you know, your more conventional running backs and more conventional wide receivers. Um, just because you're giving them that rest. As much as, you know, I've been a fan of Ken Darby, this was the year that I said, you know what, there's no real need for him to come back this year. As much as I love him, and, and you know, he, when you give him a three-yard hole, he'll get you three yards. But I think it's time to get that game-breaker. And people want to look for the wide receivers for playmaker. I think that backup or complementary running back might be the better term. I think that's a spot that yeah. we can really go after to really make a difference in the draft. Well, that's an interesting position going back to – tying it back to the offensive coordinator conversation, too, because you look at the New England McDaniels-type approach to running backs, and, and that makes it, you know, that makes it even more, opens up more possibilities because you get, you then, and then you start talking about a specialist and, you know, what kind, what kind of attributes does this guy bring? Is able, you know, that, that, that maybe Jackson doesn't, or maybe that's a nice change of pace from Jackson, like you said, that, uh, that, that, you know, fits that kind of model of, you know, that, the two and three headed running back system where you know the the carries are down for each but they all play a play a pretty vital role from game to game match up to match up um you know another name that's kind of interesting because he's probably a guy that's there in the third round depending on you know how things shake out is is Oklahoma's DeMarco Murray and and I just bring it up I, he's not a speedy guy he's not that speedster so he doesn't probably isn't, you know, the first thing that pops into your mind in, in what, you know, maybe the Rams would want for a complimentary back to Steven Jackson, but he is a hell of a pass catcher. He does seem to be a really good receiving type option at running back. For me, and I'm saying this as definitely not an expert on the draft, but, you know, someone who's seen some Big 12 football because of where I live here, and, and so, you know, that there's a guy that's not maybe the guy that you'd want to be your franchise running back, but a guy that probably has a decent future as, a complimentary part of a two-back system in the NFL. I mean, you know, yeah, a lot of a, names like that out there. No, he's a good name to throw out. And, and the thing is, I think his value is going to be in the second round, like almost like a Leonard Hankerson, end of the second round, top of the third, um, because he's smart and he's experienced. Um, he's been in big games. He's played in big situations. Yeah. He's succeeded in big situations. Um, but like you said, his biggest knock is his agility, his acceleration. He doesn't have bad top end speed. He 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 could break. I could see him breaking four five because of his top end speed. But he gets out of those blocks real slow um, compared to yeah. a lot of other running backs of his size and his top end speed. Somebody like Mark Ingram, you know, who's a uh, maybe a bit shorter and maybe a bit you know stouter, a bit thicker in the hips. But uh, Ingram's got a lot more acceleration than DeMarco Murray has, and I think uh, yeah. that's what makes Ingram such a such an explosive back that people always look at him and say, wow, how does he do that? Um, it, it, and the thing to me, when it comes down to complimenting uh, Steve Jackson, and I know we're about to go into the overtime, so if you're listening live, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for all the comments on the thread. Uh, thanks for the call, Knox. We'll keep it going, man. Um, 
And you can always listen. You can always listen in afterwards. Download it, throw it on your iPod, whatever. Um, Absolutely. You know, when, when we're talking about running backs, I think the biggest thing is to get somebody smaller and shiftier. If, if you're looking for a power back, Steve Jackson's still one of the best all-around power backs in the league. I think we do, yeah. the Rams would just be better better served you know, somebody in that kind of a Noel Divine mode, a Jeff Demps who will be coming out of Florida next year, somebody like that, that that's small and you can't really rely on him down after down after down, but you can throw him in there on a second down. You can throw him in there on a first down, you know, after after uh, moving the sticks and allow Steven Jackson to get that breather and really keep the defense on edge when you have a young guy with so much speed. That That's that's where I think the Rams would be best served. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Noel Divine gets his name called by the Rams in the third or fourth round this year. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot, a lot of draft, a lot of draft talk to go through. K, it's, if you like the draft, this is, this is prime time for you these next three months. You know it. It is, man. It is, and there, it, I mean that's the thing we haven't really even gotten into it at in mocking the draft, um, because we're waiting on everybody to finish declaring. Uh, I know Jeff Fuller's going back. I still haven't seen if Justin Houston, a kind of a defensive end, outside linebacker hybrid. Um, I don't know whether he's going back or not. I didn't see his declaration because I'm still kind of paying attention to Ravens Steelers. But I guarantee you over the next three months we're going to have some cool stuff coming down the pipe for Churchill Times and SB Nation as a whole. More stuff from the prospect playbook. I know, I'm telling you what, man, we got, we got a lot of Rams fans over there mocking the draft, brother. We got a lot of Rams fans. I know. Well, I mean, you know, when 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 the – the whole raison de trois for your franchise for the last four years has been draft picks. Then yeah, yeah. you know you build you build followers that way. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you right now the the business side of the Ledger for Turf Show Times. We built our community on the draft, and we made it even bigger with the uh, with a little success the last couple of years. With you know the last year with the Rams, and you know it, it stuck. But you know it's the hardcore fans that turn out for the draft, and this is like I say, this is. Christmas and New Year's and Fourth of July all rolled into one right here. If you're a draft neck, if you're a hardcore football fan, yeah. this is for you. These next three and four months. It's when the season starts, man. You get to go back and go over some tape. I've gone through. I've gone through a lot of tape. This last week, I was out of town. You know, I was in D.C. But uh, before that, and even Word. the last two days since I got back, it's been a lot of tape. A lot of tape. I'm putting together the next prospect playbook. I'm not going to drop any names, but it's going to be another one. Another one that makes sense for the Rams. You know, the last one was on Julio Jones. Um, mm-hmm. Next one is another candidate for the Rams. Uh, I can't do them all. I can't do them all on candidates for the Rams because it's stuff for mocking the draft. So I'll have to do some on quarterbacks and on, uh, you know, uh, on middle yeah. linebackers. I'm sure at some point, but I'll try to make sure that most of them get filtered down to tertiary times and everybody. Sticks to MTD for all your draft needs. It's as good as the site there is for NFL draft stuff, man. Hey, let me let me. Let, we're talking about prospects. Let me throw something out there because at, at the number fourteen pick, I, and I think it's kind of cool to have the number fourteen pick because you've got tons of options to, uh, open to you at that point in time, and you can go a lot of different ways. We're at the top of the draft, the first and second pick. You know, last year it really was for the Rams between two players, and that was with Son, So and Bradford. I mean, you know, the year before that, it was, you know, you had maybe three players that the Rams could draft second overall. Same for the year before that when they took Chris Long. But, you know, number 14, it's wide, wide open. I mean, there could be a lot of different names called that day at that time slot. But, you know, there's one name that is interesting to me, and we've talked about him before, is Iowa's Adrian Claiborne. 
defensive end. Is that somebody you think would be a fit for the Rams 3K, given the, you know, you know what, I, what we, we, we think they still need on the line, the front four? I'll be honest. I do, man. And that's why I mocked him there. I mocked him to us. In my very first mock draft that I did right after last year's draft, I'll go back and I'll see uh, – what what pick I had us going, but it was around 14. I think it was around 11th or 12th. He's somebody I think that makes sense. He's He's got enough game in the run defense. He's explosive enough. He's got a good first step. He's not incredibly quick, but he is fast, and he's got a good first step, very strong. He's got the right kind of a build for an all-around powerful defensive end, you know, and when you when you add a guy like that on the outside, we saw what it did with a guy like James Hall, even George Selby, who was really coming on at the end of the season. When you have those guys there, they play off each other. And even if Chris Long is getting the focus on the defense, that's that's giving those opportunities to somebody else. When you put Adrian Claiborne on that line, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, he's going to be he's going to draw the focus more than James Hall or George Selby did. He's he's just too talented. He's too strong and too fast and too tenacious. He's he's got a he's got a lot of skill going for him. I think he's still a middle of the first round guy. And, and he, he's somebody that I'm sure the name will come up more and more often than it has. I haven't seen his name really thrown around recently that much on Tertial Times, but I guarantee it will be uh in the next coming months. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because you know you go you get to the end of the season and the needs of, you know, the team's needs based on the season, the 16 games you just watched are so fresh in your mind that everyone, you know, I'm, I'm as guilty as the next guy. You're so focused on that, obviously, for the Rams, it's wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. Well, like I say, and then now, you know, we've got a wild card, and, you know, you're you're looking at your 14th pick, and the two receivers that would make sense for you will probably be off the board by then. It's, it's wide open. It's wide open. I love it. Love every minute of it, 3K. But, yeah, Claiborne's interesting, and Claiborne seems like a guy maybe that they could, you know, Spagnuolo likes to take his ends and sometimes take advantage of the matchups on the inside. You saw Hall slide into the, you know, into the defensive tackle spots every now and then this year. Is Claiborne a guy that could do that some too? To a degree. I mean, he's got, he's got enough size. The problem is, you know, it, it depends on the opponent. It, it depends on the opponent. Yeah. And just, you know, for reference, I, I had the Rams taking him at fifth overall. Um and I'll put it like this: I could see him playing an end in a three-four. No, he'd be a bit more agile. He's not—he's not as big as a lot of guys like an Allen Bailey or a Marcel Darius out of Alabama that can play that end spot in a three-four with a lot more power. But he's got more agility, and uh, you know, he, he's versatile enough. He's smart enough. He's hardworking. He's only got one red flag that I'm sure we'll get to. It's not a—it it wasn't the biggest deal. Let's put it like this: a, a cab driver in Iowa. Oh, uttered yeah. a racial epithet, and I'm just saying this. I think we talked about this before. You got to be a you got to be a dumb cat to be saying stuff well, like that did. to a 300 pound black man. I'm just saying, brother. I, I don't care who you are. I don't care how big you are. If you see a 280 you know pound guy, regardless of the race, just let him go. That's not the guy to start messing with. Just let him go. Well, you know that's why you're driving a cab in Des Moines, I guess, huh? That that. I think there's a, a direct correlation to be made there. Three <laughs> K. Any any other draft thoughts on your mind here? While we're in we're in the bonus time, I know, but uh, you know, throwing it out there. Like I say, this has been an incredibly soulful edition of Turf Show Radio. <laughs> it's been so soulful. It's been so soulful. I love that adjective. Man. It's so soulful. Um, you know, we we talked about the draft in so much depth throughout the season that I don't know that there's a lot of 
any new thoughts that I've got that we really haven't thrown out there. You know, I'm still going to go back through the tape and look at a lot of prospects and a lot of games and a lot of just a lot of random stuff that I'm going to start putting together. Um, I'm going to finish this next prospect playbook and then start putting together a mock draft um, and then go from there. I don't know. I don't think I've got any, uh, you know, any new thoughts on the on the draft or on the Rams in general? We've talked about the positions, you know, interior line, outside linebacker, defensive line, change of pace running back, and obviously wide receiver. We've gone through so much of it, and the thing is, you, no matter how much work you put into it, everything on draft day, everything comes crumbling down because Aluwa yeah. goes in the second, and then Roger Saffle goes at the top of the second, and nobody knows what the hell's going on. So, yeah, exactly. It's a, it, it's a fun exactly. process, but it's a uh, it, it, it's going to be that much more fun in the in the in the weeks, you know, and even in the days leading up to the draft because it gets a little bit crazier then. But uh, you know, it's always good fodder for Sir Show. Started. We're just getting started with the 2011 draft. Is. This is really the it first really edition of Turf Show Radio where we've had concentrated draft talk like this in, you know, the 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 top of the hour side or the the live portion of the show and. Lots more to go. Lots more to go between now and the end of April. Oh, you know, man. You know it's going to get stronger, especially once we get over this offensive coordinator hump. There's nothing else for the Rams to really do except focus on the draft. The league as a whole has to deal with the CBA and the you know the Players Association, but that's not a Rams-specific thing. It's pretty much once they get offensive coordinator, it's all draft. It's all draft. Absolutely. You know, I you know, well, I, I suspect we'll have an offensive coordinator by the end of the week, in the end of next week, probably sooner than that. Um, you know, next week on to next edition of Turf Show Radio, we'll have a lot of more talk about who the new offensive coordinator is, the potential, the possibilities, the pitfalls, and the draft. And you know what, 3K, I'm going to go ahead and carve it out now. We we've we've talked about it hither and hither and nither, but we're going to have to dedicate a few minutes to the CBA fight. Next week, I think there's some very pertinent things that we we can talk about there. So, I'm down, man. I'm down to do some research. Get my blood I'll, I'll like go hither. I'll go season. hither and thither. If that's where we need to go, I'll go hither, nither, thither, and whither. I'll go all, and all I might across even play the a zither in the background. So, you know, <laughs> that's right, Doctor Seuss style. I will say this, man. Just random, you know, story from my own experience. If we have any service members who are out there listening, that you know, I don't know if you know this, the USO is in a lot of airports across the world. And for those of us with children, you can go in the USO and tape, you know, yourself reading a book, and they'll send the DVD back to your spouse so that the spouse can play it and your child can read a book with you on TV, right? Well, uh-huh. I picked, you know, ABC by Dr. Seuss, which I thought, yeah, it's Dr. Seuss and it's ABCs. That's going to be easy, you know. It's going to be a good book, and it'll teach you the ABCs. I forgot that, you know, 90% of Dr. Seuss's books are absolute nonsense. So I opened it up. It's like, A asinine asterisks from Asaplex Asphalt. Make sure that asses are axed on the asphalt. I'm like, wait, I don't even know what I'm saying, man. I don't know. How do you pronounce this word? And you start getting to the weird ones like F, Fiffer, Pfeffer, Pfeff. I don't know. Why am I teaching my kid this stuff? You know what? Never mind. I love you. Goodbye. Well, I'll be back in a while. Here's a when every, when I, Hopefully they didn't all have ass in it for A. Well, it, it wasn't it wasn't ass. It was like ass, ass assets. And I don't even remember. I couldn't say half the words. You get to like Q, and it was like Queen Quincy Coquapples of Quimbledon and Quinnipiac. And I couldn't read the words. So now my wife and my child are looking at me, thinking I'm drunk in Kuwait. And oh man, it was not good. So just just a piece of advice. 
soldiers out there. Don't uh, don't pick ABC by Dr. Seuss. Just go, you know, Jack and Jill. Like I don't know. <laughs> Stick to something simple. What's wrong really with the is. three bears? Don't go thither. Stay hither. Don't go zither. No zither. Amen, 3K. Amen. 3K, it's been a soulful, heartwarming powerful, moving, all that other stuff edition of Turf Show Radio, has it not? It's been really it's been really soulful, man. I think it's time to, to get down and check out the end of this Ravens Pittsburgh Steelers game. It is, and you know what? It's time to hop on um the Night Train Express right now. That's what I'm talking about. So. <laughs> Night Train Atlanta, Georgia <laughs> There you go, man. Very soulful. Hey, Very I would soulful. sing, but you know what? My singing's worse than my pronunciation, so I will, I will spare everybody the <laughs> yeah. details. Your singing cannot worse than the pronunciation. That's scary. Oh, we may have to do. We may have to, <laughs> we may have to open up Tershow Radio with a special <laughs> um, Springfield Idol version of Van Ryan, man. <laughs> the last time somebody caught me singing in public, I forget what I was singing. Oh, I know what it was. I was listening to Fuji's. I was singing my version of Lauren Hill, and I think people thought I was just some racist asshole. And I really, <laughs> hey, I'm just a bad singer. I'm not a jerk. I'm not a racist. It has nothing to do with that. I'm really just a terrible, terrible singer. Don't beat me up. So you, so, uh, you, you know, again, I, you know, I have to do the pronunciations. I have to say Ashimago Otagwe. I have to throw those names out in this business, but I don't have to sing. And by God, I'm not going to. Oh man! See, there you go. If there's ever been a motivation for Tertia Times to get together, I think it's to to get Van Ram to sing us into the playoffs for 2011. Good stuff. Well, man. you know what? Enough Night Train Express, and I'll sing. That's for sure. There you go. There you go. Does anyone drink that anymore? Surely not. I don't know. I uh, I tried people, it once, maybe. and I pretty much passed out by smelling it. You know. In my early yeah, days of alcohol, I can still say with, that, with confidence it was the worst hangover I've ever had, and that's that's <laughs> saying something. Let me tell you, you have to uh, you have to have pretty much killed off half of your liver to even to even attack the night train with any confidence. You've got to be a yeah a, a man with different skills than I have. I do, I just don't have the skill set. Yeah, there's a lot of things I would buy with the pennies I could scrape up in the house before <laughs> I was buying night train at this point in my life. I can tell you that. So, 3K, it's been good as always. It's good to have the Turf Show Radio back on the air. It is good stuff, and I'm sure as we get closer with uh, with more stuff from me coming on the draft and stuff from CBA coming from you and a, a community that's ready to go, maybe we'll get some guests for Turf Show Radio. It's going to be a fun off season. It is. It is, 3K. And with that, I'm going to leave it, 3K, parting words. I don't know. Can we say go Rams? Go Rams. Go Rams in the draft. How about that? That will be my new offseason. Go Rams, mantra. go draft. It's there you go. Same. Go, go Rams, Rams, go draft. GRGD. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> DK, keep it real. That's Everybody it, out there on Radio Land, thanks for listening. We'll be on the site. We'll catch you on the flip side. 
everybody. It's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts, check it out.